Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of The Sendcast. The Sendcast concept started a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. Yes, there is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy and don't have time to sit and read. Everyone working in schools needs training and support around SEND, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. We created the Sendcast to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND, and to help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same consistent messages to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I have invited on to talk about a specific area. My guest this week is Ginny Bootman. Ginny is currently a Senko of two primary schools in Northamptonshire. Ginny has come along to talk about how children are at school and how they are at home can be very different and the reasons why. Now, the Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared, and over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. And over the last few years, we have diversified. For years, we've focused on an assessment, and we're always, always going to be focusing on assessment, but we've seen a lack of high-quality, easy-to-access training in CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering Training for Education started a couple of years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be sharing an exclusive SENDcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing why do some children present differently at home and at school? My guest is Ginny Bootman. Ginny is currently a Senko of two primary schools, but has been a teacher for a very long time. Her words, not mine. A senior manager and a head teacher. She's also found time to write articles for TES and speak at a number of events. Welcome to the show, Ginny. Welcome. So we're going to talk about when children are, I think it's different at school to, to when they are at home. And it is not unusual for children to be different at, at school and at home. And I think one of the main things to say is they can present differently at school and at home, but it's like a seesaw, Dale. They yeah. may present in a more what may be perceived positive kind of um, fitting calm in. way, at, fitting in at, at school or they may show that at home. So you might have one side or the other. It's quite a flipped coin. And I think sometimes people don't acknowledge that, that it can be a flipped coin. They, they can show um, that they fit in at school and then it all comes out when they get home or the other way. And and I think that's really important. And I think a great example that I've seen of where we see children showing themselves in different ways is when I've had an educational psychologist come out, she's done this brilliant thing where she puts a cross in the middle of a plain piece of paper and she says to the parents, tell us positives about your child. And the, the parents tell positives about their child and then move on to areas they need to work on. But, and this is a big but, 
sometimes parents find it quite difficult to say the positives first because they have become so weighed down. Yeah. Weighed down by the thing, by the negatives. So, and then the educational psychologist does the same with school. And that's really fascinating to actually be in a meeting where you've got parents saying what is positive about their child and areas they need to work on. And also the school's view of the positives about the child and things they need to work on. And I think maybe that is a great starting point when we are talking about they're not like that at home because children are different when they are in different settings. And to actually sit down and actually have that honest conversation with parents to begin with really opens it up and gets us to know the children before we get to that that horrible point where we've got, for example, a child not wanting to come into school and then we have to start unpicking it. Let's start with a round the table discussion about what they're good at, what they like doing, what they find a little bit tricky. And then from that, we can then put together a toolkit and we can put together a system and strategies all together as a team. I think that what you're talking about there is is a together approach, working together as a team. And I often hear on Facebook groups from both sides that there feels like there's blame going on. That they're not like that in school, so it must be the parent who's at fault. Or they're not like that at home, so the school must be doing things wrong. Or it's always, it feels like there's a blame. Where people feel there's a blame, there becomes a barrier. Yeah. And when we've got a barrier, then it is very, very difficult. We have barriers, we have the armour on. Once again, from both sides, really, really interesting. I did a talk recently and it was to educators and parents together about promoting homeschool relationships. And actually, it is a two-way system that can so easily break down because of the school as well as the parents. And I think there is a perception, a wrong perception, that it it comes from home, the barrier, but actually, inadvertently, it can come from school. I think we have to make a conscious decision as educators to break down that barrier. And I think parents don't want to be that parent, Dale. They don't want to be put in that category. Oh, I won't go in because I don't want to cause a bother. I don't want to waste their time. And in my setting and with my schools, that is couldn't be further from the truth. We talk about nipping things in the bud give us a phone call. If your child comes in and they, they've they come in and they aren't settling very well, ring us or we will ring you. So it's it's just having that, that fluidity, that communication that the parents know about, Dale, because I think unless we make it very, very clear to parents and unless we are that kind of a school that says, look, this is normal. You know, this is what we do. This is this is part of what we do. This is part of our ethos and our values. And I mean that. It's not, oh, we've got it written on a piece of paper. It's what we are. Please ring us up if you are worried and we will sort it out together. So I think we have to take away 
the fact that parents sometimes feel judged. Is it me? Have I done something? And and parents can have this weight on them. And it's a really heavy weight where they actually sometimes don't want to come through the even the gate. I heard a terrible story the other day of um, a parent who was going to go to a meeting at school and they were so worried they actually physically threw up before as they were getting out of their car. Now that that has to stop. There has to be the breaking down of barriers. And we as educators have got a role, a significant role to play in that by being visible. Yeah. By by when a child does something, go out and parent, send them that photo, send them the email, because we we need to put ourselves in their shoes in order that they will come closer to us and trust us. I think yeah. I think that's what it all comes down yeah. to. Trusting and another word, believing. We're talking about they don't do that at home. I believe you. If you tell me something happens at home, I believe you. Tell me more about it. But the problem is, is often when you are a teacher and you have this child who appears to fit in as a model child and the parent says, oh, he's a nightmare at home in this lot, it's hard not to have that initial reaction of, oh, and kind of that look of, well, what are you doing? Wow, how have you got that to that situation? Because he's so good at school. And even if you don't intend it, just by hearing that, oh, oh, it just makes them, it can make that parent feel like, oh, so you don't see it, so it must be me. That anyone saying anything, apart from just that initial action of, oh, can make a parent feel like, oh, it must be me. If they're having a real struggle at home and all the, everything they get from parent is, isn't he lovely? Isn't he amazing? Isn't she great at this? Isn't look at all the stuff she's joining in? And you're a parent at home going, that is not the child I know. That again will make you feel like it's me because he's doing so well in school. So when you do have these, it's really hard to be able to hear that information and help that parent understand that it's it's not them. It's and I think something you've got to find together. Yeah, and I think you've you've really hit on something very important. When a parent tells us something we have to think about how we react because that first reaction says so much and stays with that parent for a long time. So if a parent tells us something, we have to be ready to react in a way that is going to build bridges to say, that that's really interesting. Tell me more because I am really interested. I think we have to play detective and genuinely be interested and say, tell me more about this. I'm wondering if something is happening in school that is fueling this, but we can't see that because they may potentially be masking. So we have to, once again, consciously say, right, let's think about this together. How can we unpick this? 
And also I say to parents, do you know what? Is there a particular time when this happens? Yeah. Let's really, really start to break it down into smaller, smaller pieces. And then actually the parents know we are genuinely interested because we are. What we want is for children to be um, a level seesaw. That's what I say. We want them to be to be a level seesaw between home and school. Now, the seesaw may be up at, at school or it may be up at home. And I think once we say, do you know what? This is happening at home, equally be happening at school. Let's see how we can work together and and see what is causing this. And what I find is when we have that conversation, suddenly there is a bit of a light bulb moment often, and it can be something as small as the packed lunch, that, and they've had something in their packed lunch that they don't like or where they sit, and that brews during the day. And also the fact they have a different class teacher that day, but they they weren't aware yeah. of that. Their, fr their friend is off ill. And these things can inadvertently to us build up, but suddenly it's like, sometimes I feel like Poirot. I go, right, what about that? Oh my goodness, it could be this. Yeah. When your child has, has when, when your child um, has this system at home, this is what happens. We've got a different system. And actually, when the barriers are down, we go, actually, should we try and do the same if we can by making little adjustments? Yeah. Then we then we can then we can be be as one. I think it is so much about not judging, about everyone being together and knowing. I think the parents need to know that they are being listened to. So we do need to give time. We yes. need, need to give time to parents to say, right, let's sit down. You know what I'm like, have a cuppa, you know, whether it's Zoom or whatever, sit down and let's have a chat about this. It's not an interrogation. And no. the shoulders go down, Dale, and it's like, do you know what? Let's have a look because it could easily be what is happening at school is then fueling what happens at home that is very difficult. I talk about um, the pop bottle. I listened to an amazing talk and someone was saying, children are like pop bottles. Little things happen in school. Children mask it. It's fine. It's okay. I haven't got the packet of crisps I wanted, but that's okay. But it shakes the bottle. I haven't got the same picture as I thought it was going to. Shakes the bottle. All the time, throughout the day, these little things, and then the child gets in the car and the parent says, how was your day? Boom, the lid comes off the pot bottle, and it is school. So we have to say, just because we're not seeing it in school doesn't mean that that the what is happening at home isn't because of what has been happening at school. Yeah. I think it's important, as we say, go back to that, Oh, and that reaction, changing that oh to, because you're saying oh, because you kind of don't believe it because he's such a wonderful child. And therefore you're already doubting the parent. You've got to change that oh to, okay, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to change this? You've got to immediately assume 
it is happening. You can't assume it's not happening because you haven't seen it. If another teacher walked in and said, he's doing this, you go, okay, what are we going to do? As it's a parent and you haven't seen it, the initial reaction for a lot of teachers will be, okay, it's an issue at home. How can I support home? Actually, as you just said, the issue's in school. So you've got to start with that believing. When they say this is happening, you have to believe. You have to take that on board. And then, as you said, Jenny, you've then got to find time to have a conversation. And I think it's hard for you to play Pyro on your own. You need to say, you need to get to work with home and go, right, so keep a diary this week. Let me know how each day goes. And then I'll keep a, kind of try and keep a diary or whatever. We'll work it out. And then our three weeks later, you go, right, so it's every Tuesday, every Thursday. What happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays? They might not even be the same thing on Tuesdays. They'll be two different things. But it's working out what those things are. Um, and I've experienced kind of a bit of mask with my daughter and my sister has definitely experienced it. Um, and when her boy came home from the first two weeks of secondary school, he just lay on the floor for, in his room for two hours because he was trying to cope and process with the day. So he put that face on all day. He knew he had to do as he was told and fit in. It was too much. He couldn't do much more than that. Her other son for a year or so was basically would come home and cry and cuddle her on the sofa for an hour or so every day after school. And in fact, he's walked home and that's what his first thing to do is it's definitely not a home thing. That has come from school. And it's not a blame thing. Again, it's different environments. How that child responds in different environments will depends what's going on in that environment. So often children are more relaxed at home. So they let themselves share and be emotional. They let their guard down at home, whereas that guard's up at school. So typically, the child is often very well behaved. They're a model child. They mask everything at school. They let her out at home. But I think there are things, times, as you said at the beginning, where when there are things going on at home, which they're worried about, they might be masking at home. They might be trying to keep it all together to not make that situation worse. Then it all comes out at school when, when they can come out, it's not going to have an impact on home. So it can be vice versa. And I think that is that is so important that that we do see th that it can be, you know, either or. And I think that we can make little changes in school that can have big impact for children. We can make so. For example, I've had children who find it very difficult coming through the gate in the morning, and we talk to the parents, and then we have a transition item that they bring with them. And then that becomes the dialogue between the child, the parent and the teacher. And, and it, the, the giving of the um, item is really important to that child. Or the parent will say, show Mrs. Bootman what you've brought today. So the parent is so important in making sure that the child feels comfortable as they come into school. So it really is all of that teamwork. And I think you have to, I don't know if it's intuition, but you have to get in tuned with that and be ready in the morning to gauge how a child is, think 
about the different systems you've spoken about between home and school. And I think that's where um, one-page profiles come in really, really handy, having a really good one-page profile. If you know a child likes something in particular, Lego or um, World War One or Minecraft or whatever, that becomes a lovely a lovely way to have a dialogue between home and school and the child and the child feels valued between both environments because we want that seamlessness between um, home and school. That, that is what we actually want. And I think as parents, that, well, that's, that's, what, that's what we want. We want our child to feel re really valued as an individual. You want that child to feel trust in that school in that person they're talking to so they can kind of with that person maybe take part of that mask off you know reveal a little bit more so they're not holding it all in they can hopefully at some point communicate with that person i'm not coping with this rather than keeping it to themselves and letting it out at home you're trying to get that that communication that trust with someone in school or people but hopefully start with someone so that they can actually help and you can put strategies in within school so that it's not bottled up. You're actually giving that Coke bottle a little bit of a rest during the day. So it's not being shaked. Yeah. So that when it gets home, it's not going to pop so much. That's it. And I think the other thing is children are really intuitive. And I think it, it'll be interesting uh, from parents' perspectives. But I found that a child will find their key person themselves and yes. that key person isn't isn't the senko isn't necessarily their class teacher it could be the person who runs a before school club it could be the dinner lady it could be the teaching assistant it could be the teaching assistant who is on duty who doesn't work in their class and they do find an affinity to a person and when they find that affinity to that person that is magic because that person becomes the advocate for the child. And actually, if other members of staff have had a different view, they suddenly, there is a champion championing this child and saying, so-and-so spoke to me today about their Lego. Did you know that they'd made a Lego so-and-so? And it becomes broader because they have got that key person. And I think it is important that it's not me as a Senko doing this, you know, I must make that very, very clear. It is the class teachers, the teaching assistants, because we we all are in this together. I might give ideas, but then actually everyone else has better ideas than me because they know the children far, far better than me. But to find that key person is 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 amazing. It is it is magic. And then they kind of they're the advocate for the child. Yep. I think my daughter, I think she, um, whenever she felt ill, she would go to the school office and the lady in the office would look after her. So she developed a lovely connection with that person. Because whenever she felt down, it was that lady who looked after her. So it was her in the office who she would talk to. And, and then she would phone me or my wife and talk to us. And then we would give information back. So she became like a bridge between home and school. And it's, so that was how that connection was formed. It was this lady in the office who always looked after me. And I think there's a lot of children in that primary school probably felt the same because of 
they went to them when they needed help or there was something wrong and they looked after them a bit like your mum would putting a plaster on your knee or doing that and looking after you and making sure you've got everything you need. And there was a lot of trust in that person. That's the thing. So they will look after you. And if you need to go home, you're and you I need my mum, your mum would either come in or your mum would give a message to her. So it was never let down. There was never what this lady said is what happens. There's a lot of trust in that for my daughter, I think, that what when she said to her, that is what was going to happen. Um, and when you're a teacher with it and you've got class of 30, what you say might, and there's lots of different reasons why they might choose that person. Just because those five few conversations have really worked for that child or anything, but they've chosen them for that reason. And I think that there are so many reasons why the, the lady in the office is so important. Because when you think about it, you the, the child has to walk from the classroom and that actually is calming. They are moving away from the hustle and bustle of the classroom. So they've got the walk there. They are walking to a place where that person will always be. And they're going into a quiet place. They're going to a place where somebody has got time for them yep. as you said with the class teacher they they are very very busy people but they know actually i just want to go and talk to somebody i'll go to to the office and have that conversation and i know that they will ring my mum or they will be that person who will email my mum and they have got the time. I'm not saying people in the office have got loads of time more than no. anybody else. But, but but the perception is this is the place I know I can go to and it is a calm place. And if we're talking about the bottle, actually, that is going to settle the bubbles by going somewhere. Often children need a calm place and that is a lovely calm place. And we all sometimes need that calm place, don't we, just to go just to just to regroup or or to calm down. So I don't think we can underestimate those places that children need to be able to identify. I have children who choose to go to different places and they may want to be on their own, but sometimes they just want that interaction with an adult. I thought also just thinking about those quiet places is you may have a child in your school who likes to go and spend lunchtime reading in the library every day. Or she's generally a very quiet child or he's a very quiet child. He just kind of stays to himself. And then the parent comes in saying, well, he does all this at home. He plays up. And you might think, well, actually, that is a model child in school. But if you think about sometimes their behaviors, their behaviors are avoiding every other child when they can. So they might be going to the library, so they're on their own. They're finding that quiet place to calm down. They're finding all these areas just to settle the bubbles on their own, but you might not be aware of it. So what the child has done yeah. is they've solved their own problem, but so you won't notice it. But actually, it's yeah. that yeah. is a good way of settling bubbles, but that's not always a long-term solution. Emma Kendall's book, um, Helping You to Identify and Understand Autism Masking, I think is really, really interesting because it talks about strategies that children use um, when they find things difficult. And one of the things she says is that they don't want to be singled out 
and they are trying to hide their differences. And I think that is really, really interesting. And the fact that they are trying so hard to fit in and what you've said about they can appear to be wanting to read a book, but what they're actually doing is they are trying to fit in and that is sapping them of so much energy that that then what we talk about shaking, it then shakes, shakes the bottle. Interestingly, she also says autistic people don't tend to feel the need to mask when they are with people they know well. They tend to relax and be themselves. Now, this is fascinating because I've been in a situation whereby I have had a child who I have seen who previously has fitted in. So they have had the mask on or they've been the outside of the uh, Russian doll, as I say, and they are fitting in and they are fitting in and they are fitting in really well. They go home and the bottle has been shaken and fizzed. Over time, as they feel more comfortable, and as Emma Kendall says, once they get to know people very well, then the layers of the Russian doll open, come away, and we then see different sides of that child, which to the outside world seem to be a backward step. So the children may shout out, they may become a little bit angry they because they are showing their true self, which Dale is amazing that the child is actually showing their true self. We're getting this balancing of the seesaw a little bit more, but we then have to be prepared for people to go, whoa, Ginny, something's not going right here because the child was well behaved and now look at their behavior. And so it is very much a case of educating all of the people who work with the child or with ed in education to say, look, what's happening is they are feeling comfortable, they are feeling safe. Those building blocks for learning are starting to grow, be built up. That, that, that wall is growing and actually it might go even further downhill. And I've seen that and that is really fascinating. But then in my experience, I can only talk in my experience, the parents go, Ginny, do you know what? We're seeing a difference at home. And the difference at home is the seesaw starting to balance. And we've put so many different systems in place for individual children because of what they need for their sensory issues, all of these things in conjunction with the parents. And then we've ended up with the seesaw balancing and the child educationally and academically has thrived. So that in itself is absolutely fascinating, but you have to understand it in order to go through it. Yes. And I think it's important that it's not only will a trusted person and a different environment, um, but my, my nephew has autism and we go out for a meal and we go to a restaurant and generally he can cope with about an hour and a half and he needs to go home. But in that an hour and a half, we'll have conversations, we'll have fun. And apart from the fact he needs to go home, is my conversations with him, you wouldn't think he's really 
being impacted. You literally see, oh, actually, we're doing really well here. Oh, this is a bit. And then when we went, when he was going through his EHCP process and you had to get the children's voice, and for some reason, the school weren't doing it. So my sister asked me to go down. And in that conversation, where I was specifically asking him questions about school, it was a very different child I was talking to. So while I'm there and we're having lunch and he, we're having fun and my, my daughters are there and it's a family event and he's having quite a lot of fun because it's not a challenging situation. There's noise in the background, but actually there's people he trusts with him. So he's quite, as soon as we start talking about school and it was a bit more abstract, what we're talking about, that's when I really saw him as a, he came out very across very differently in the conversations we were having, and he found questions hard to answer because it was in a certain context about certain things. And it was really, really interesting that it depends again. So while he's doing stuff he loves at home, he will be able to cope with more things um, that he can't cope with and some other things. And it's a real, really, really big thing to unpick. You have to be a good pyro but you've got to make a start. Everyone has to be try, and you can't do it on your own. It's more like going to be the famous five solve the mystery type thing where actually it's the mum, the dad, the Senko, the class teacher, the lady in the office, the TA, um, and his, and their best friend, all those different bits combined hearing that sort of things and asking, well, how was, how, how was your friend today? How was he? Oh, this happened. What do you mean? This, that didn't happen. And sometimes what, what a teacher thinks happening in class and what a child thinks happens in class can be very different, very different perception of events and that can a fairness and things like that and set things off and various other things. And it's, it's joining that all together into a bigger picture will really help. And that really relies on good communication from all parts, believing and trusting in each other, which I think is really, really crucial. I think so. And I think I think COVID has been quite fascinating with regard to um, how children behave at home and how they are at school. And I think I really have learned so much from uh, parents of uh, children who have additional needs about how children um coped with home education and i call it edu educating the educators so parents have said to me actually mrs bootman my child did really well doing this this and this in this environment and i've said right let's see what we can do to change the environment to replicate in some ways for for your child and actually that has really worked very, very well. So we've, we've changed classrooms round. We have um, more space, if we can, for children. You know, we have sensory boxes to hand, you know, through discussions with parents about actually my child really benefited from sensory breaks every half an hour. Can you timetable those in, please? Sometimes we can't, but actually it's about listening. And, and even if we can't, going, that is a really good idea that you've had that we, will, that we will log. I think the other thing, when we're saying children are different at home, we also as educators have to think about when there are changes to the curriculum. And there might be small changes or there might be big changes. So when we're looking at it through the special needs lens, actually 
is the teacher going to be off tomorrow? If so, an email to the parent to let them know. Actually, are we going on a school trip in two weeks' time? Right, yes. Well, let's let's send the information about that. Let's, um, you know, send photos. Let's talk through the risk assessments with the parents once again. Then the child is fully informed and the parents are fully informed. And then once again, the seesaw is level because everybody knows what's going to happen. And another book that I would like to recommend is by Alison Rowe, The Girl with the Curly Hair, Asperger's and Me, a fascinating read, an absolutely fascinating read about uh, an amazing young lady who talks about her journey and the things that make such a difference to her that that we wouldn't necessarily pick up on or recognize. But I've read that book and I am seeing life through a different lens now, how things can, what we perceive as a neurotypical person may perceive as small for someone who is neurodiverse is very, very large. So as I say, that is another book I would highly recommend because it's putting ourselves in the shoes of the child and the parents. And I think we need to do that more because we're talking about a child being different at school and at home. Actually, the whole environment of a school is very different to the environment at home. And, and we have to acknowledge that and see how we can support the parents and how we can understand the parents and when you talk to these parents, they are phenomenal, Dale. When I see the systems that are in place at home, I'm like, why aren't we replicating that? Why aren't we having more conversations with parents about things that they do for their children daily to make the children's lives, to help them thrive? Let, let's, let's just all be on the same page. I think that school trip part is a really interesting thing because I think a lot of schools don't really think about we're doing something different. What additional information do I need to provide to this child and their parents? And they, I think schools aren't really, maybe when it's called trips, doing risk assessments and thinking about what is the risk of this child in these situations? How are they going to act? Do I need to talk to parents? It's an overnight stay for this child. Do we know how they're going to be overnight? There's loads of stuff to make your life easier, to make that trip run smoother. And then there's actually what that child needs and what the parents need and the information you can get from the parents. Um, so if you're sort of doing stuff and you're getting loads of phone calls from the parents, you're not giving them enough information. You've already put the warnings up. You've already put their back up. They're already going, you're not ready. You're not prepared. This is going to fail because you've not prepared. You've got to try and get that information out before they're asking it. You've got to get make that parent feel confident their child can go on that school trip. You've included them and their child and you've made the, the reasonable adjustments. All those changes required to make sure that child can go on that trip successfully not in a stressful way that they can cope um i think my sisters ended up going driving somewhere because their child refused to go back on the coach and they had no idea what to do or why and things like that and 
you don't want to be in that situation. You've now just let that child down, let the parent down, let everything down because it wasn't planned or prepared. And I'm not saying you can get rid of all, every single situation. There'll be always things which won't, which could happen. But the more you know, the more you prepare, the better it will be. I know I had a trip and I had lots of conversations, an overnight trip. And actually, we kept having conversations and we just kept having conversations. There wasn't a definitive answer because it would depend how the child was on that day. But we had all eventualities that we could have covered. And it was lovely because it was a dialogue. And it was like, actually, the first day, the children are going to be sorting out their rooms and everything. Maybe that might not be the best starting point for your child. And they were like, oh, no, you're absolutely right. But actually, if they arrive at this certain time when there is more structure, I think that would be best. And the parents are like, absolutely, you know the trip better than I do. And then they know their children better. And it was like, and shall we see, and shall we have a time, say eight o'clock at night, and then we will decide whether we feel your child is ready to and wants to stay for the night because it still gives you time, that half an hour journey to come and pick them up. So to have to have systems in place is really good because the last thing that any, anyone ever wants is to get to half past 10 at night and then to go, oh my goodness, we now need to make a call on this. But actually, it then wouldn't matter. We'll have the eight o'clock phone call. Actually, we'll decide. And if the child's going home, then they go home on a high. That's the other thing as well. I feel very strongly that children need to, if we can, if they're if they're at school and they're coming in part-time or whatever, we finish on a positive. We do not wait until things go downhill before they leave. We we make it so that so we've had a brilliant time. You're going to come back tomorrow. We can't wait. And there, there is a lovely positive end, end to their day. It is. It, it, communication is really, really crucial. And I know we're actually going to do a podcast shortly on communications. We won't go too far into that. But masking is one of those things which requires communication and it requires trust. You've got to, when a parent says he does this at home, you don't sit there and go, are you sure? Are you sure it's not bad parenting? You know, you say that it, you, you take it it is and it is happening, but you've also got to assume it's not because of home. We don't know the cause yet. It could be something happens on the way home from school. It could be something that happens in school. It could be something happening at home. It could be something we do not know. So there is no blame. It is unpicking and working out what that is. And I think that's the important part. It's believe they are different at home. And then it's working out what is causing it. And if they are behaving lovely in school and terribly at home, is how they're presenting, likelihood the issues are because of something going on in school they're not coping with. And if you've got the other way around, that at home, they're appearing lovely, they're not rocking the boat, and they're trying to be keeping together when everything else is going wrong around them, and they're playing up at school, they're actually quite comfortable in school, and they're letting it out. But actually, that issue could be something going on at home with parents, parents' jobs, or something's going wrong, and they feel they can't actually 
let how they feel out. I think I think also we can if if there is something at home that um that is a little bit tricky or they need support with as schools we signpost them and I do a lot of signposting for parents you know they may come to me and go actually do you know what we've got this issue at home is there anything that you can do and there are systems we can put in place like early early um help assessments so we can work with the family as well so it's it's a case of whatever is happening come to us and we can support you we can signpost you and we can work together because sometimes having that team is better than trying to do it on your own i also think that the biggest thing is as educators and we keep coming back to this in this conversation it isn't our role to judge it is our role to support and to empathize and and to put ourselves in other people's shoes. I know I talk about follow the empathy road, but I think we do need to do that. We need to go, right, okay, let me put myself in their shoes and try to feel alongside them what they're feeling and actually do things to support them in a non-judgmental way. When people feel judged, they they actually put the barriers up. So I think that's my big that's my biggest message from this is let's let's try and help people and empathize with them so that they will come to us instead of putting up that barrier, not wanting to come through the gate feeling that they're not going to be um, believed. So we need to believe and we need to not judge, but be a support mechanism for them. Definitely. So thank you for coming on the show today, Ginny. Love the conversation. It is, I think masking is something um, that is, I've seen a lot with my nephews. Um, I, my daughter does it a bit. And it's something where the schools haven't, my, my sister's situation, schools haven't listened. It's been a battle. And now those battle lines are drawn and it is a battleground and things like that. And I see it also in Senko forums where someone says, oh, this child is not behaving at school and the mum's really struggling. What can I give mum? And you just see they're trying to help, but they've immediately said, it's a home problem. I need to solve that rather than actually looking at the whole thing. So there's lots of things where I still, I'm still seeing lack of understanding, lack of awareness of masking. Um, and it is, maybe you as a Senko know about masking. You're listening there and go, I've not really learned much today. So there's a couple of bits I've learned. What about the rest of your staff? Do the rest of your staff understand masking? Do they know what it is? Do they understand that Children can be different. That is the important thing. We need to get all staff in schools understanding masking. So, yeah, thank you for coming on the show today. Um, you've given me some links to share. And that one with the girl with the curly hair, I've written that down. So I'll find a link to that to those. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. And also be sharing Ginny's contact details. And you can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. You can find the link to subscribe across the different podcast platforms on our website. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. 
Um, and please let others know what you think of the podcast. Share your favorite episode, share things my amazing guests say, let others know how good this is so we can get the messages my guests are saying to as many people as possible. And before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of guests on the Sendcast, our speakers at our virtual Send conferences, um, or they've recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. And at the last event we ran, we actually had a session by Lana Grant on masking because it is a big thing. I want to get as many people educated on as possible. And to find out more, visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to Sencast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past, by using the code SENDCAST10. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sencast. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from at Senko Girl. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>